Confronting disparities in healthcare is a challenge for every organization, and it's the focus of this episode of WHI. If you're looking to connect with colleagues from across the country working on the same equity issues as you, we're proud to invite you to the equity track at this year's IHI National Forum. The forum is a four-day conference showcasing the application of improvement science to some of the toughest challenges in delivering high, quality, safe, and equitable care. The Equity Track offers sessions on improving access, quality, and health outcomes with communities that have been historically and systemically marginalized. These sessions will help you and your colleagues understand and address institutional racism in healthcare and provide you with the tools to close gaps in health equity at your organization. The forum will be held December 9th through 12th in Orlando, Florida. For more information on the Equity Track, sessions, and speakers, and how to enroll, visit ihi.org forum. This year, we'll be celebrating 30 years of the National Forum, and we hope you'll celebrate with us. Now here's WHI. The importance of reducing unnecessary rehospitalizations probably can't be stressed enough. A hospital or health system's readmissions rate is often a window on the strengths and weaknesses of admission and discharge practices, the ability to coordinate seamless care from hospital to home or another community setting, how well a hospital communicates with patients and family members about medications, and attention to social determinants of health, such as housing conditions and access to healthy food. So when your readmissions rate is higher than expected, higher than desired, do you consider that racial or ethnic disparities may be factors? How would you go about finding this out? Our focus, how you go about reducing readmissions with an equity lens on this edition of WIHI. And I want to welcome you to WIHI. We're an online audio talk show from the Institute for Healthcare Improvement. We come to you live this way, and then you can find us as of tomorrow on IHI.org and on iTunes. I'm your host and producer, Madge Kaplan, and I also serve as IHI's Director of Communications. Now, there are a lot of good strategies being used right now aimed at reducing avoidable readmissions across the board, but it's likely that the best strategies consider who makes up your readmitted population and why, and what can be done, what more can be done to improve support for more vulnerable patients in your system. All right, let me introduce our panelists, and with great excitement, they're in the studio uh, with us, uh, uh, working not too far from here in Boston. Andrea Tull is a healthcare analytics leader and gerontologist with expertise in hospital quality measurement, performance management, strategic planning, and policy analysis. She is Director of Reporting and Analytics within the Massachusetts General Hospital Lawrence Center for Quality and Safety. Welcome, Andrea. Thank you. And to Andrea's right and just across the table, we have Aswita Tan McGrory. She is the Deputy Director of the Disparities Solutions Center based in Boston. She supervises a broad portfolio of projects that include collaborations with internal and external partners on collecting race, ethnicity, language, and other social determinants of health data, and developing disparities dashboards that stratify quality measures by race, ethnicity, and language. So very much at the heart of some of what we'll be talking about today. Welcome, Aswita. Thank you. We're going to start with Andrea, and I'm going to actually ask Andrea and Aswita both uh, just a kind of general question to get us going, and then we'll get into some of the research that prompts our discussion today. So what, Andrea, what information about patients has been typically examined when health systems have been looking at their readmissions rates? Um, We've been at this now for some number of years, and I'm wondering, is this evolving? Yes, it's a great question. The readmission measures, of course, have been very prominent in quality and safety portfolios for a number of years now. Uh, They've been publicly reported, used in uh, pay-for-performance incentive programs and penalty programs. So anybody who's working in hospital quality is very familiar with kind of the standard flavors of readmission measures. Uh, So those tend to include hospital-wide readmission rates, um, CMS, more recently has gotten into looking at specific conditions and procedures, uh, which in some ways is a more specific and better way to look at it. Um, And those tend to be the, the most commonly used 
metrics for readmissions. Um, at Mass General in the Lawrence Center, we have a number of different reports that we use to keep an eye on our readmission rates. Uh, we use our own internal administrative data to look at it. And obviously, we model and track what CMS is doing because we have to keep an eye on that. Uh, we also slice by different uh, payer groups. Um, and with this project, with the equity lens, we have decided to start to look at really who are the patients that are are the ones that are most likely to come back? Where is the opportunity? Okay. Um, that's been a, a common theme for us, and that's been the uh, the impetus for this work. So that really is among the reasons why we're very excited to include this, because my guess is uh, people are still at early stages of figuring out how to make that um, transition. So more on uh, what you're actually doing in a second. Aswita, let me turn to you. At the Disparities Solutions Center, um, has it been your observation for a while now that equity has really been missing uh, from those discussions? And what's the significance of that in terms of what you think may or has been missing? Yeah, I, I do think it's been missing. I think, um, you know, when we talk to uh, a lot of providers about disparities, they say, well, I treat all the patients the same. So it's not me that's the problem. And the truth is we cannot treat patients the same. Uh, we have to tailor it, um, whether it's because of uh, social determinants of health like housing or food security uh, or if it's because of language. And so when you're looking at a group of patients that you're providing services to, you do have to acknowledge that there's differences in there. Uh, and so stratifying the data by race and ethnicity and language is really the way to kind of dig a little deeper into your data to find a little bit more granularity on, okay, we have this rate, we'd like to reduce the rate, um, but but who, for whom is it really a challenge? Uh, and understanding your data better and not sort of assuming that what works for one group is going to work for everybody. And we always say that um, you're not providing good quality of care if you're not providing it for everybody. Thanks. Um, I appreciate that. <clears throat> All right. We're going to swing back to Andrea. And I want to uh, just acknowledge we have a great slide deck that goes along with today's show. Uh, it is, uh, John, you want to say something about it with the screen maybe? So if a you're following <laughs> along on WebEx, it's because my WebEx uh, froze, and so I'm unable to uh, advance the slides right now. So in, in the chat, it. there is a direct download link, so you can right. take a look at uh, our presenter's slides, uh, and we're working on getting that fixed. That's showbiz. Okay, well, <laughs> thank you. And uh, it's not because we're asleep in here and forgetting. I just wanted <laughs> folks to know and uh, definitely uh, follow that link uh, that's there in the chat and a reminder that all the information uh, is going to be posted to our website as of tomorrow. And you're also prompted when you get off the program if you want to, to get the slides. Okay, so Andrea, uh, why did... Mass General, we started now to talk about this, decide to look into readmissions rate with an eye on disparities as some possible factors. Thanks. Yes. So um, I am very fortunate to be part of the Lawrence Center for Quality and Safety, where we have this terrific partnership with Aswita and her team at the Disparity Solutions Center. And our teams have been working together for 10 years now. Yeah. It predates uh, my coming to, to Mass General. Um, and each year, we produce the annual report on equity in healthcare quality. And it's one of my favorite projects because we really get to dig into these issues. Um, so in that report, which is public on uh, both of our websites, that um, you will see what we do is we stratify our quality measures by race, ethnicity, language. We're now getting into looking at additional lenses, uh, gender, et cetera. And uh, that report had tended to be very heavy on process measures. Mm -hmm. And we were interested in pivoting a little bit towards outcomes measures. Um, and so this work started actually back in 2015. We started looking at readmissions. 
And um, so we uh, decided to stratify our hospital-wide readmission rate as our starting point uh, to see were there any differences by race, ethnicity, or language. Um, again, with this idea of, okay, nationally and at Mass General, we've been seeing improvement in readmission rates. They've been coming down. That's a good news story. Everybody's happy with that. But I would say our rates at that point um, were, we called them stubbornly stable. It was kind of like we got to a point and it wasn't moving. Um, and we were thinking, okay, how do we identify where is the opportunity? And we're always looking hospital-wide. Um, and so it seemed to be a nice fit uh, to look in uh, to these different racial and ethnic groups and see if there was a potential opportunity there. I would say our main hypothesis in the beginning was that we might have some issues around language. Um, and particularly with patients who had limited English proficiency um, and wondering whether or not they were getting quite the information that they needed during that critical uh, discharge process so that they could have the best transition from the hospital to the community. So that was our hypothesis that we might find something there. So that's where we started. It was a very basic stratification of the readmission rate by language. Uh, we also looked uh, by race and ethnicity and surprisingly did not find uh, the differences we were uh, expecting. In fact, Can I back up one yes. second and ask you, how did you have all that information? Great question. So yes, we have. Um, yep. So we used our internal uh, administrative data, so billing data. Essentially, uh, we we have a database where we're able to go in and extract that. Um, most hospitals will have some type of reporting portal um, or a core measure vendor that they're working with where they can get uh, their readmission data and um, benchmark benchmark data for other hospitals and that sort of thing. Um, the piece that we added on was to actually link that to the demographic data in our electronic health record. So when patients present at the hospital, they're asked, asked a series of questions about their background, and that is recorded in the record. Um, Aswita and her team have done a lot of work on the improvement side of the data collection. And uh, so we then are able to use that uh, to, to slice and dice these different measures. How long has MGH been asking those questions, would you say, or has that been kind of common practice? You know, that's kind of predates both of us. Yeah. And I would say um, probably unofficially since 2004, but even before that maybe, okay. in some form or fashion, we asked patients what their race or ethnicity was. But I would say definitely by 2004. Okay. And is that typical, would you say? No. That's what I was wondering. Yeah. No. Across the board, because this is often one of the first things that uh, healthcare organizations have to figure out. Yeah, it's a very sensitive question to ask somebody what their race ethnicity is, especially in these times with all the headlines and, you know, the fear that people have of what you're going to do with that information. Are you going to give me different care if, if it looks like I'm a certain population? So we have to do a lot of training both on the patient side as well as the folks who do the actual data collection. Okay. Well, thanks for clarifying that because I think for our listeners it's important to know this was information kind of at some level that had yet to be really mined uh, in some way around readmissions. All right, we got our slides going here. <laughs> We're back in business. Uh, so I, I, I don't know to what extent this can sort of help move things along, but this is the one. Uh, feel free, Andrea, to speak uh, from this and then we'll keep going. Yeah. Sure. So, so this is our approach to um, how we decide what to study for for readmissions uh, for uh, for equity. So, essentially, you know, it's there's plenty of fodder out there. You don't really need to reinvent the wheel with this work. So, we um, we leverage the existing quality measures that we're already reporting on, and then the piece that is the added value is then linking that up to the demographic data and uh, analyzing it that way. So the way we go about it in terms of prioritizing, because there are 
hundreds of quality measures out there that we could look at. Um, we we try to use the, the Institute of Medicine uh, framework for high quality care, STEEP, um, and try to get measures in each of those areas. Obviously, equitable is what we're talking about, but we, we try to stratify um, in all of those areas. So readmission fits in, you could, mostly in the efficiency uh, category, I would think. Some people say it's it could also be uh, effectiveness. Um, so we uh, so we start there trying to get a representative group of measures, and then uh, we work with Aswita and her team to look into the literature on disparities. Where does it seem like there is evidence of a disparity elsewhere? and allow that to help us uh, prioritize where we look. So in the case of readmissions, it was an area that we hadn't mined before, and there was uh, some evidence in the literature of disparities. Okay. So you started talking about your hypothesis that maybe this was limited English speaking um, might be a factor as well as perhaps race and ethnicity. And I think I interrupted you when you were about to um, do the big reveal of what the study, that initial study showed. So what happened when you, when you uh, stratified in that way? So we actually found the opposite of what we expected. Uh, we found lower readmission rates um, among uh, non-white patients and uh, slightly lower, essentially the same readmission rates among uh, non-English speaking patients. So that was a surprise to us. And we thought, hmm, well, what's going on with that. That's not what we expected to see. So then we took it um, to a, a next step down and we said, all right, well, let's stratify even further. Let's look at um, within the uh, limited English proficiency cohort. Uh, let's break that out by age, by race, and see if there, if anything shows up there. And at that initial stage, we did see some differences within the Asian population, particularly Asians over the age of 65. So that was kind of interesting. And we thought, all right, um, that's, that's a, that's, a good place to start. Um, but really, to, to answer our questions, um, we needed to build a multivariate model where we could actually control for multitude of factors. Um, when you look at the readmissions literature, you see a lot of evidence for um, social social determinants of health, socioeconomic status, uh, those type of of um, things, and so we really wanted to find a way, if we could, to build that into our analysis. So this actually drifted into the second year of uh, this particular project. So the first year was just doing those kind of basic stratifications. The second year was getting to building a multivariate model, which is uh, phase two here. So you can see here what we did was we put together a data set that would include uh, these different factors so that we could uh, try to tease out what's really important. So we grouped it in uh, four categories. Our, our main factor that we were looking at is still, of course, language. So that was uh, the first step. Uh, next, we added in some demographic information, so age, gender, and race. Uh, and next, we looked at some socioeconomic factors. So here is where we got at payer. Um, we had an SES score that we that we built. That was kind of a, a neat uh, side project where we did some geocoding of census data and came up with a composite SES score. Uh, so that was that was a fun uh, thing. And then uh, finally, we added in clinical. Uh, clinical characteristics. So this is where we looked at what service did was the patient discharged from, how many comorbidities did the patient have, where were they discharged to, and how many admissions did they have in the previous year. So um, when we went through uh, that whole process, that stepwise uh, logistic regression uh, process, we actually found that um, language 
actually neither language nor race, but language particularly was not significant at any step in that whole process throughout, which was, again, surprising to us, not what we expected to find. What we did find were the most important factors uh, were the number of, re of, of admissions in the prior year. So best predictor of whether you'll be readmitted is how many times you were admitted um, in the prior year. Uh, patients on Medicaid uh, had a higher uh, risk of readmission. Uh, the risk of readmission uh, increased with each additional comorbidity. Again, that's not surprising. Uh, what was a little surprising to us was the patients who were discharged home with home health care uh, had a, a greater risk of readmission. Uh, so again, those could be patients who uh, are, are very ill and have a lot going on and need a lot of, of help in the community. Uh, so that could be what's happening there. And uh, patients who were discharged to locations other than home also had a higher um, higher likelihood of being readmitted. So, uh, you know, when we sat down, Aswita and myself and, and our whole team, and looked at that, it was kind of like, Huh. This is this is not what we expected to see. In some cases, you know, you can kind of take a step back and say, well, that makes perfect sense. The clinical factors are are driving it. Um, but you know, where do we go from here? Uh, the thing that um, great question. <laughs> Um, and uh, thank you. And uh, I hope everybody is kind of getting oriented here. I promise you, you can download the slides and go through this again. There is a logic to all this. I want to ask uh, now Aswita to jump in here. But one very quick question. Somebody uh, who doesn't know a whole lot about statistics and doing this kind of work, such as myself. Or me. <laughs> okay. All in favor. Um <laughs> might wonder, well, are, are these disparities by other names? In other mm -hmm. words, uh, as we're looking at uh, comorbidities, Medicaid, et cetera, and not unrelated necessarily to societal disparities. So, um, Aswita, maybe if you want to, I don't, I don't want to put you on the spot in terms of the data, but feel free to jump in. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, clearly these are very complex patients. Uh, and patients who, when they go home, have challenging environments. Uh, so I think we can safely say that in this country, probably those are a lot of people of color who are living in certain neighborhoods that don't have access to transportation. Um, they might not have access to even refrigeration for medication. Um, they might have a language barrier. So while it didn't show up in our analysis, which was a good thing, and so we can actually say, yes, we, we looked at it and we didn't find anything. Um, I do think on a whole, when we look at national literature, it does show the more complex patients with really challenging social determinants of health um, tend to come back to the hospital quicker and faster. Uh, and so I, I think that's really what we're getting at when you're thinking about comorbidities, um, folks who have been in and out of the hospital, folks who are elderly, um, maybe isolated. That's one other thing that we thought about is mm -hmm. the patients who are alone. So that would be a lot of elders. Um, so when you think about that, then all of this really makes a lot of sense. Do you think, uh, either one of you, that this is then instructive? Um, do you have to really go the route that you just went? Uh, in other words, you know, to reach that kind of conclusion that you did, which direction do you go? It seems like many people would agree that complex patients with complex circumstances in life and maybe health as well um, might be part of that population, um, and yet you really, this couldn't be more comprehensive in terms of uh, the route that you went. So how important is it to also understand what's going on by race, ethnicity, language, would you say, Aswita? Well, we don't know what we don't know, right? So without doing this analysis, and it was a lot of work, I mean, I sort of understood most of it. <laughs> most of the time I was like, oh my God, Andrea. <laughs> I know this took a lot of work. But I, I think that we couldn't really answer the question if this is a population that we needed to focus on. And this isn't to say that, okay, at this moment in time, we didn't see anything, but we'll probably have to um, look at it again maybe in, in a year or two. And as as Andrea hinted at in the, in the beginning, this is like the first step 
readmissions isn't everything. It's where a lot of the focus is, is because it's tied to payment and penalties. Um, but we maybe need to focus on transitions in care, right? So there's other things that we can look at in this process that may show us some some more, you know, granularity on on these topics. Um, one more question, as we do at this moment. We talked about the fact that uh, whether it morphs more into talking about transitions in care, at this very moment, readmissions continues to be a big button item because of uh, financial mm-hmm. implications. And as I suggested, I guess, at the beginning of the show, um, the, it, it can be a window on all kinds of things that uh, are not happening well with communication coordination. Um, you also seem to feel that it has the attention of the powers that be in organizations, so take advantage of it in a way. Absolutely. I was actually thinking about this today, that, you know, for organizations that are trying to get leadership buy-in on why this issue of disparities by race, ethnicity, and language is important, this is one way to get about it. Because in order for us to do this analysis, we have to have good data meaning demographic data on race, ethnicity. So if you're trying to drive that process, this is one way you can say, you know, we really can't answer this question until we have good data. The other piece is it really talks about communication. Uh, and that that's, you know, are we communicating um, with the patients in a way that they hear everything that we're trying to get at them? So I feel like in some ways you could use this type of analysis to drive the work within your organization and get the leadership buy-in because it is tied to finance financial um, uh, penalties, and it is what everybody's looking at right now. Um, if you have the solution, you would have, you know, yourself set for a career. <laughs> Andrea, figure it out. <laughs> so the challenge is there. Um, thank you. All right. So let's now turn to what's going on right now. I don't know if you call it Phase two, part B, or phase three, um, but uh, what is going on at Mass General now with this issue? Yes, so we have several efforts underway right now um, around readmission and continuing to explore. And I would say it's there are things happening on on three fronts: um, on the analysis front, on the improvement side, and spe- with spe- specific interventions with um, high risk patients, and also improvements with the data collection that Aswita had mentioned. So let me start with the the analysis. Um, front and and talk about what we're doing there. So this um, this initial uh, model building exercise that we went to through was using a hospital wide readmission measure. So one of the questions that we ended up with, of course, whenever you do an analysis, you end up with really more questions than answers. So we said, okay, we aren't really seeing what we expected within the hospital-wide measure. What about if we start to look deeper and more targeted within those um, specific conditions and procedures? So that is what we're actually currently working on right now for uh, our our current uh, equity report, which we should be wrapping up in the next month or so. Um, so there we are trying to see, is there a, a potential area of focus where some of these issues are cropping up? Um, so we're, we're continuing to stratify those. Um, on the interventions for high-risk patients, this is really our, our main improvement project that we have at Mass General today. We have a terrific program called the Stay Connected Program. It is led by uh, several folks, uh, a large interdisciplinary team, but targeted within our Department of Medicine, which has a very challenging population in terms of readmissions, as you can imagine. And so this program is designed to uh, give patients who are at the highest risk for readmission a suite of wraparound services during their hospital stay and after they transition out to the community. So, for example, some of the things that are happening when the patient is in the hospital are things, very practical things like setting up their follow-up appointments before they go home, 
filling their their prescriptions so that they leave the hospital with everything they need. You don't have to go home and then get to the pharmacy and and fill all of that. Just just very practical, making sure the patient has exactly what they need when they leave. Mass General's walls. Um, and then uh, several follow-up services to include nurse practitioners who will come out to the home, check in, make sure uh, the patient is is following through, doing some telemonitoring uh, for certain conditions, uh, case managers following up, helping with things like uh, transportation, financial needs, that sort of thing. So really a whole suite of, of wraparound services that's supporting those, those high-risk patients. Um, so that project has been um, underway for about a year and a half, two years now, and we're seeing some, some strong early results from that, so that's fantastic. Um, and so we will continue to, to monitor that and um, hopefully be expanding that out to other uh, areas within the hospital soon. And then finally, on the data and analytics side, there's, there continues to be a, a lot of effort around collecting, first of all, improving the collection. It's an ongoing process to constantly uh, be on top of collecting uh, the race, ethnicity, gender, language all of these demographic variables. Um, and as Asuita said, uh, recently there have been challenges around that. So it's it's something that needs constant attention. Um, we are beginning to collect social determinants of health uh, data in our electronic medical record, which is very exciting. And Asuita and her team uh, can uh, have, are very involved with that. That's going to be, I think, critically important for the future because that's where we're going to really need need to go. Um, that's the future of equity uh, analysis. Uh, and then finally, uh, on the analytics side, uh, there's been some work to build some risk scores in EPIC, which is our electronic uh, medical record. So we have been leveraging that as well, trying to understand. So that's a, a front-facing metric that clinicians at the bedside can see. You know, I have my patient here, Mr. Smith, oh, he's at high risk for readmission. And so it's a it's a prompt to help our clinical teams understand, you know, this patient might need a little extra support. Thank you. Uh, we're just about, uh, you've just been listening to Andrea Tull uh, describe what's going on at Mass General Hospital in Boston, part of the partner system, and some very impressive research. I wanted to just, because I know we flew by, if we go back, John, to for a minute to the impact and discussion slide, and you got here um, there was a rate decrease from 16.9% to about 16.5, uh, preventing roughly 60 readmissions. Um, how much, is that a significant decrease? You talked about stubborn rates, so I just wanted to put it in that context. It is. You know, that's our Department of Medicine, and they uh, they have been struggling, you know, to, to have an impact. And so any any little decrease is is uh, is very significant to them. 60 readmissions is is a big deal. Okay. All right. Well, Aswita, just before we go to uh, chat, and I wanted people to, uh, you know, think of your questions and comments. I know it's a lot to take in. I suspect people listening today are at various stages of all of this. And um, I want to flip back, John, because I know we didn't really get them up there too much, a little bit more about the Disparity Solutions Center and uh, maybe the background and mission slide is a good one, the next one. Um, what is it that you're, where would you say, so here we've got Mass General, which is very exciting to hear about because it shows really the possibilities. Um, where would you say from your experience and being at the Solution Center, most, a lot of healthcare organizations are with these issues right now? And um, how can you be helpful in that one? Yeah, I, there are not a lot of uh, organizations are doing uh, what we're doing, which is stratifying their re uh, their readmissions data by race and ethnicity. Um, and in part, that is because the data collection piece is still not quite uh, good. They need to figure out how to make sure that the data that they have is as reliable. Um, and also, I think we're still, you know, struggling with making sure that people understand this is this is important. 
Um, I think people, you know, this touches on very sensitive subjects of race and racism. And so it's difficult to get people to understand that, you know, this isn't about blame, but this is really about trying to find some solutions and trying to improve the care for everybody. Uh, It's a sensitive topic, so not everybody has the supportive leadership that we have. Um, um, you know, both at the top of the hospital level, but uh, even throughout sort of the C-suite and all the leaderships, they get this and they fully support the work that they that we do. Uh, and they actually come looking for the data if we don't support. I think there's one year where we, we skipped a year because we were busy with this readmissions analysis. And I actually had people email me like, hey, what happened to that report for 2016? I'm like, oh, my God. Uh, no pressure. So I think not everybody's at that stage. But I, I always tell organizations, you know, don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. You should do some kind of analysis, even if it's very rough with not perfect data. It'll tell some kind of story that you can take to your leadership and say, look what we found and here's what we'd like to do. And you will get probably more action than if you sort of theorize and don't have any data in front of you. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, again, uh, a call for questions and comments. Uh, and I want to make sure people saw this one, John. This is the annual report that's been referenced. Perhaps some other organizations have this. The next one comes out when, <laughs> whoops, sorry, no pressure on anybody. <laughs> When's the next spring. one doing? Probably, yeah, spring. probably spring. Okay. All right. Very, very good. Um, I want to also uh, encourage people to talk about the data collection piece at your organizations, um, what would be helpful. Uh, I'm also curious whether or not uh, looking at social determinants of health, which I've begun to see a lot more uh, attention to uh, within IHI, there's certainly some work going on. And I'm wondering, and uh, help me out here if this is just ignorance on my part. Is it easier at some level, a little less charged to ask about some of those questions than it is to ask people about sort of these more, what could be considered more fixed things mm-hmm. about themselves. Aswita, what do you think? Absolutely, Madge. I mean, I think you're tapping into something, which is I see this movement where people can really get on board about addressing social determinants of health and collecting that data. And I have to remind people, race is a social determinant of health. And so it's not separate. Uh, and in fact, in this country, your race will determine what kind of access you have to education, health care, where you live, and in the past, what kind of loans you'll be able to get um, or housing. So I think it is important for us, And but I do, you're right, I do think people think, okay, let's talk about food security, let's talk about, you know, domestic violence, let's like, but not so much about race and ethnicity. So you're right. Um, I think getting the buy-in on that seems a little easier than, than the race ethnicity data. I I hear kind of, uh, though, two sides of the coin. On the one hand, it may be a way to get at important information. On the other hand, uh, it can be a way of avoiding talking about difficult things. Right, right, right. Are you involved at the Disparity Solutions Center in helping staff get more comfortable, um, healthcare staff get more comfortable? Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. Uh, you know, I always get uh, telephones and emails uh, from folks, and they're like, hey, Sweeta, can you uh, point me to an e-learning module that's going to make everybody in my organization <laughs> culturally competent and aware of unconscious bias? And I'm like, no. <laughs> but I have a free one, which is just hang around with people that don't look like you, that don't have your background, uh, don't have your political leanings, you know, that don't have your education. I mean, just get diverse, you know, and I I do think that in order for us to be comfortable to talk about this, we need to understand who we think the other people are and really getting to know them. And so this is why in many organizations, there is this push towards diversifying the workforce because we really cannot serve this population and have people understand this if they don't have their own lens of what it's like to not have housing, what it's not like to not have good education? What is it like not to have any food? What is it like to experience racism? If you want to provide care to that population, you need to have people on your workforce who can, you know, really um, resonate with that perspective. So, Okay, I appreciate it. I'm going to ask you, John, uh, if, uh, oops, here we go. Are people having some issues getting through to all participants? 
Uh, I hope not, but you can always uh, <laughs> chat at all participants if you have any questions or comments for our guests. Okay. Uh, Carrie, I believe somebody was seeming to suggest that all participants is not an option. It should very much be, but if you don't see it, I guess go ahead with attendees and that can be copied and pasted yeah, absolutely. Um, into the chat. Um, again, uh, welcome your questions and comments and what may be going on at your own organization. Um, how would you characterize the population, uh, at, at the patient population at Mass General, and uh, to what extent uh, that presents other any other kinds of challenges? Um, Andrea, am I putting you on the spot? It's it's a very broad population. Mass General is a is a giant organization, right? It's a, it's, I say it's a city unto itself. And, um, it, we, it really takes all kinds. It's, and that, that's a, that's a challenge. So our, our hospital is obviously a, you know, a quaternary care hospital. We're taking care of patients with very rare diseases, very severe disease. Um, and at the other end of the spectrum, we're also a community hospital. We have several community health centers. Um, and so it's really the full spectrum. Um, and that in itself presents challenges uh, for us in terms of developing programs and interventions and making sure that we're targeting them to exactly the, the right patients. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Any thoughts on that at all about the patient population? You know, it's interesting. I think sometimes organizations that serve um, a really large, well, I'll give you an example. I was just in Albuquerque last week presenting to healthcare executives on exactly this topic, race, ethnicity, and language, and how it impacts the quality of care. And before I went up, I looked at the demographics of Albuquerque, and it said that 37% of, um, through the census data, 37% um, self-identified as non-Hispanic white, so super diverse. And if you compare it to um, Massachusetts, I think we are like 68% white. However, the executives in that room were mostly white. And when I talked about race and ethnicity, it was like, what are you talking about? So I think, you know, it's interesting that organizations that sometimes we think might be more clued into this because of the patient population they serve don't necessarily see it. And I, I found that the case in that in that environment that people were really not comfortable talking about. It's like, why? You have a really diverse patient population. So, you know, MGH probably doesn't have a really big um, patient population that's diverse, but we are really good at talking about it. So it's interesting how you think that, you know, organizations that do have diverse populations would, would get this quicker. So this gets at really levels of culture, issues around culture and people beginning to, you have to be able to talk about it <laughs> amongst staff and amongst each other um, if you're going to start engaging. With yeah, ex exactly. We always talk about in the center about have you, you need to socialize this, right? Mm -hmm. Among leadership, among frontline staff, really everybody within your organization. And that's a challenge. Mm -hmm. Okay, thanks. Um, a question about uh, the data. Does it look at identifying preventable readmissions cross-referenced with some other variables such as person who may be readmitted due to a lapse in refilling a prescription due to cost. So any any kind of correlations and like that. Yes. Know? So the whole the whole issue of identifying preventable readmissions is really the that's that's really the crux of the analytic problem right now because we have seen the the overall readmissions rate tick down, down, down over the past several years. And I think we're at a point now where it's like, okay, all of the low hanging fruit is gone. Um, and now the question is you know, you're never going to get to a point of zero readmission, right? So, so what are the, how do you identify the ones that are preventable? And that is a very tricky, challenging thing to do. Um, obviously, CMS has a planned readmission algorithm, which is probably the most practical way to get at it from a, just a data, you know, analysis standpoint um, in terms of something that you could run and, and build and, and, you know, build into a, a regular reporting cycle. And we have done that at Mass General. Some of the core measure vendors that have uh, report builder tools and that sort of thing have done this as well. So those resources are out there. But 
I think it really calls for a qualitative process here to really look at, um, and, and this has to take place on the on the local level. Uh, some of our services have done this. Our Department of Surgery did this several years ago, uh, where they reviewed every single readmission to surgery in their uh, monthly M&M meetings and scored them. Do we, do we think there is something here that, that could have been prevented or not? And from that process, uh, glean some insights that uh, they could they could build some improvement around. So things like uh, paging the surgeon if the patient presents in the ED, for example, very practical things came out of that. Uh, but you're not going to really see that if you're only looking at your broader your broader rates. So I really think there is a place for this. You know, the, this particular report was very heavy on the quantitative analysis side. And I understand that many hospitals don't have the resources to do that. And it's just not a practical thing for them to do. Uh, but anybody can do a chart review and look through and, and kind of read through the story and uh, potentially identify some areas for improvement. Mm -hmm. Okay, thanks. Um, don't be shy, audience. <laughs> we, we welcome uh, your questions. Um, I'm curious uh, if there's, uh, since I know many hospitals, certainly in the Boston area, but Mass General in particular also does, has a very big pediatric uh, area, and is there anything that looks different uh, and if that's looked at at all in terms of uh, that, uh, the young population? Well, if you're talking about the quality of data, when you think about pediatrics, and I worked with a pediatric health equity collaborative about this, when you're talking about data collection of race, ethnicity, and language, it's not just the patient. You have to have information on the caregivers. And the caregivers can vary. It may be grandma coming one day, and it may be mom the other day or somebody else. And do we have the systems to collect that data? At MGH, we don't. So we don't actually have a system where we collect, here's the ca uh, caregiver's language needs, for example. Um, so the picture has to be bigger. Um, you, and I think this is why pediatric hospitals maybe get this a little sooner, this whole social determinants of health, because when they're looking at their patients, they're realizing that the patients have very limited influence on their environment, and so they need to take that in, into account uh, when they think about care. So... Uh, yeah, the the answer to that is it is different for pediatrics. Um, we would, if we were doing readmissions on that, my guess is Andrea, correct me if I'm wrong, but I think we would have to widen our scope, and we might not be able to get all the information we need from our, um, our Epic system on like the caregivers and what env environment they're living in. That's very true. And in fact, when we did this analysis that is in the, the current report that's posted, we specifically excluded pediatrics for that reason, because it's just so different. Mm -hmm. um, and we did not have all the information that we needed for that. Okay, thank you. We have a question. I'm going to try and read it uh, through quickly and get it right. Um, have you explored patients' culture? health literacy uh, in relationship to uh, race, ethnicity, and language. Um, for instance, some race, ethnicity may not trust the provider and defer to their own cultural remedies. Um, and uh, so, yeah, I, I, I don't want to spend too much time just reading the entire thing. But uh, what about these issues and dynamics uh, that, um, you know, he's saying um, people may not even return uh, to the hospital, in fact, because of either reliance on some more traditional types of remedy uh, or because the disconnect has been that great. Any thoughts on that? Yeah, I... Um those are things that are hard to measure for us, right? So I do agree they're completely valid, um, but how do you measure that? So I think that you would measure more through a qualitative survey where you would interview patients to find out, okay, what were the barriers for you uh, in, you know, getting care or staying um, staying healthy or, you know, what were some of the challenges of you, you know, making your follow-up appointment? Uh, and, and it may very well be that, you know, they're happy to, people are happy to use a hospital for when it's an emergency, but after that, thank you, but no, 
Um, I'd rather just go, you know, to my local doctor. So he's the person who asked the question. Absolutely. Those are important factors. I just don't think we can access them through our uh, quantitative data analysis. And that's really more a qualitative piece. And those are really important pieces of knowledge that we need to understand. It's really about um, what is the perception of the care from the patient side of the care that they will receive at MGH and does it align with what they would like to receive? Very um, in line, I think, with uh, this uh, person's final comments about asking patients more, mm-hmm. um, you know, did they return when they felt they needed to um, and why or why not um, as a way of getting at that. So you're saying that isn't happening now per se. Um, there may be, it may come up in some other kinds of surveys, I guess. I think we were talking about doing that Yeah, yeah. the yeah. next step. Yes. Interview oh, patients. Right. Interview. Absolutely. Okay. Very, very good. Um, all right. I am going to, I think let's move. I'm going to continue to look at this chat here, but let's get some final reflections uh, from you, Andrea, in terms of maybe some takeaways for people to think about. I mean, kind of uh, as they're, uh, and uh, sweetie, you can uh, jump jump into that. These are some that you've ticked off that we've got on the slide, and uh, any others that um, you'd like to add, Aswita. Yes, I think you know our our approach to this work has been to try to be very practical about it and do it, approach it in reasonable chunks of, uh, of time and analysis, right? So don't go too broad too quickly. Start with measures that are already readily available, that you're very familiar with, that you understand the quality measure itself first, and then begin stratifying uh, from that. So look for areas, I would say to somebody who is just starting out, you know, look for areas where you're maybe not at uniform high quality, you really you you have a big gap to get there, um, and then the uh, the equity analysis can be a step to help you identify how do we get there. Are there are there different approaches that we need to be taking for different patients? And uh, that's a first step. I think uh, going in with your eyes wide open about working with administrative data and the messiness of it is something that everybody has to just kind of accept. This is not um, you know, this is not a pristine data set for research. This is this is day-to-day billing data. You're going to have missing data. You're going to have to make uh, business decisions about how you handle that and how you describe it. Um, and I would just say anticipate that. And uh, again, be practical. Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good, but be very specific about what you're doing. Be very clear that, you know, X percent is was missing or unknown. Um, and then and then that will help you keep track of that going forward. Uh, executive leadership is incredibly important here. We are blessed with uh, with great uh, leadership buy-in at Mass General for this work, as Aswita described. Um, but find find a clinical champion and a and an executive champion in your organization to help you um, go out and uh, and spread the word, because I think that's that's a critical component. And uh, most importantly. It's like any other measurement. It's you don't just do it once. It's ongoing. Just because you don't find a disparity today does not mean that one won't crop up in the future. So we keep looking. Um, if it's something where we found an issue and it got better, we will track that for several years after to just make sure it doesn't backslide. Um, and then uh, same thing for an issue like readmission. You know, we didn't find what we expected, but we're still looking. We're looking in different places um, and trying to make sure that we're not just missing something. Okay. Aswita, anything that you might add? Um, well, first of all, I have to say you, you need to have the same fantastic collaboration that we've had for the Center uh, for Quality and Safety. Um, I mean, I just it's really like a pleasure for us to work together, so that makes this work easy. Um, but we also have fantastic leaders on, on both teams that have just been fully supportive and let us do our thing. Um, I do think the role that we bring to the table is sort of understanding the perspective of what is happening nationally um, so that it gets people's you know, um, gets people to understand that, okay, if we see a disparity at MGH, 
it's what's happening nationally. You're just normal, right? Um, because people do get, I think people are very leery about looking at this data because they're afraid of what they'll find and they're even more afraid of, sh of sharing this with the public, which we have done, um, full transparency, but not everybody's ready for that because they're, they're worried about the repercussions. Personally, I think if I, as a patient of color, I would be very happy to see that my hospital is looking at this. That's kind of how I see it. But I understand people are looking at it from risk management perspective. Um, the other thing is I do think you need to sort of not just slap the data on the board, but you have to, again, socializing, under, put context in it and have people understand, like, why are we seeing this? And then I would say um, we can do the analysis and we can bring the expertise, but we do need people who are sort of rooted in this work to explain to us, does this align with what they see on a day-to-day -day basis? So we work very closely with some of the other departments so that we can bring them the data and say, does this make sense? And if it doesn't, why do you think it doesn't make sense? So you always need somebody to interpret the data. Do you need a an organization with deep pockets and a major research arm to do this work? You're both shaking your heads. Um, Andrea? I don't think so. I think it's just where there's a will, there's a way. You can do this in uh, very practical, smaller chunks uh, that you know you don't you don't need a major investment. You don't need PhDs and statistics and all of that. It's um, it, it it can certainly be done. A lot of it can be just literally going out and talking to people. Having you can do this on a qualitative level. Um, so it is it is definitely definitely doable. Yeah, I hear that a lot because people will say, they kind of hold MGH against us. They're like, well, you're MGH. You know, I'm just like some small community hospital. And my point is actually what you're getting at is that you don't quite have the leadership buy-in or the commitment. And that's what you really need. It's not about resources. Sometimes it's tied to that. But I, th I think you can do this if the commitment is there to look and understand this. Okay. Last kind of gnarly question that I have. Is the reporting that's going on now, the required information uh, as a condition of participation, certainly in Medicare, to be part of this readmissions uh, reduction program, is that whatever processes healthcare organizations have developed in order to supply that information by condition and uh, um, the uh, hospital-wide readmissions rate, does that set you up to that something you can then work with to uh, do some, is that working in the right direction in a sense then to begin to sort of deepen what you're doing or are they very different kinds of things from a research perspective? Uh-oh, that was too mushy a question. <laughs> I'm just, I'm thinking that all these healthcare organizations are mightily, they've had to develop all these ways to supply this information. And, uh, you know, it can't be just bolting on equity to that, uh, for sure. But does that give you even a running start? It definitely does. I mean, and that's and that's why I would suggest to people just starting out, start with those required measures because you're doing it anyway. And and there's there are resources there. So it's a it's a very logical place to start. I certainly think there is room for CMS and other payers to uh, to help push this work forward. Um, interestingly, there is a, uh, a relatively new measure that's in development at CMS now looking at stratifying the pneumonia readmissions um, by, uh, by payer, essentially, by dual eligibles, trying to get at this socioeconomic status disparity. Uh, so that is in its infancy now. I think it's a very positive step forward, and there's a long way to go. But certainly CMS is in a terrific position to drive uh, the focus in this area. Okay. Wow, you heard it here on WIHI. <laughs> <laughs> Scoop. <laughs> yeah, I, I, uh, yeah, I agree. I yeah. think CMS is very interested in this. We yeah. work with the Office of Minority Health at CMS, and they're interested in this. So you, it's, it's better for you to be set up to start looking at some of this data this way because that's the future. I, I truly believe that. Okay. Thank you very much. All right, John, I want us to get in our uh, kind of comments about the forum. 
including the fact uh, that we have, what do you know? There's Aswita, <laughs> there's Andrea Tull, uh, both of whom will be speaking uh, at our <laughs> national forum coming up uh, in December. Uh, and that's very exciting. And I, I think it's a great opportunity uh, for more face-to-face and much more uh, discussions. So uh, you can find out more about that. And John, do you want to sh- show the other other one here. We got one more that'll kind of point you in the right direction. Oh, yeah, of course. Um, yep, take yep. a look. There's the IHI National Forum. So, of course, you can see uh, Andrea Nasuita uh, speak uh, as part of the equity track at the National Forum. We just had that slide up. Uh, but for more information on the forum and uh, how to enroll, go to IHI.org slash forum. Uh, and you can see all the 10 featured tracks uh, that we'll be uh, celebrating down in Orlando. All right. Thank you so much. Well, a big thank you to uh, our panelists today, uh, Aswita Tanmagori and Andrea Tull. And I want to really thank our audience. Uh, you must have been at rapt attention listening. And uh, there are uh, email addresses on uh, Aswita and Andrea's uh, bio slides uh, that if you have any further questions, uh, you can also email those to us here at IHI info at IHI.org. And next up on WIHI, uh, on November 8th, we're going to have a program, Building the Will and Skill to Be a Clinical Improver, such as we've been uh, witnessing today. A reminder, you can download the chat and any slides we used. You can do it when you get off the show today, or you can look for all the material uh, tomorrow, so you can check out that archived page. And I want to always remind everybody, there's a fabulous group of people who help put on uh, the this program. They include John Gothier, Matt Morris, Vicki Minden, Joanna Carmona, Val Weber, Brian Derrick, and Pat McTiernan. And as always, it's a privilege to host this program. It's about spirited learning and improving health and patient care most of all. So for the Institute for Healthcare Improvement, I'm Madge Kaplan. Good day, everyone. If you're hoping to continue the conversation on reducing readmissions and lowering disparities, today's guests will be presenting at this year's National Forum as part of the Equity Track. The Equity Track offers sessions on improving access, quality, and health outcomes with communities that have been historically marginalized in healthcare. On Sunday, you can find Aswita Tanmagori presenting SL2, Addressing Social Determinants of Health, and on Tuesday, Andrea Tull will be presenting C25, Exploring Disparities in Readmissions. For more information on the Equity Track, as well as the other featured tracks at this year's IHI National Forum, visit IHI.org slash forum. Thanks for listening to WIHI.